Today, we pick up the lectionary passage in Matthew 15. I'm thinking that in these days, we all could use a little Jesus. So we're going to be in Matthew 15, starting at verse 21, and I will read that in just a few minutes. When I was contemplating going into ministry, one of the hurdles I worried about was being under the authority of a controlling, egotistical male boss. Some of this, of course, comes from my upbringing, and I know that. However, you don't have to live very long in this world as a woman to experience negative behavior from men, shaming, all kinds of abuse, dismissiveness, condescending superiority. In my late 20s, I had known enough of that to understand that I needed to steer clear of that kind of toxicity mixed with power as much as possible, especially in the realm of the church. When we think about Jesus and women, we see a different model. He treated women equally, which was radical for the culture and time in which he lived. He gave them opportunities to freely learn Women were part of the larger group of disciples who contributed in key ways. To women who were found to be in sin, or those who weren't acting as they should, Jesus defended them and offered salvation to them, instead of denouncing them. His teaching on divorce is largely meant to protect them. Women find a place with God that lifts them up for who they actually are, not for who they are in relation to key males in their life. So in the interaction we see today, we wonder what's going on. The verbal exchange between Jesus and an unnamed female is strange because of how the Lord doesn't respond to her right away and because of the words that he uses with her. The disciples act out of their own interest. They urge Jesus to use his authority as a male teacher to get her far away from them because clearly she's bothering them. Now, while thankfully Jesus ignores that request, we might cringe a bit as we hear what he says to her. Jesus is speaking truth, namely that he is meant to offer the gospel first to the people of Israel. But it just doesn't sound very loving, which is what we expect from the Lord. So let us read the passage further. Let's read the passage to further think about it. Matthew 15, starting at verse 21. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David! My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Oh, send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. 
let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let us pray. Jesus, we seek you above all in the reading of your holy word. May our hearts and minds be open to what you have to say to us. Thank you for the profound ability you give us to think and reason with good minds. We ask for your truth and love to be revealed today. Amen. The larger context of this passage shows the Lord being visited by Jewish leaders from Jerusalem, who uncharacteristically go 50 to 80 miles out of their way, depending on where everyone is located, to see Jesus in Galilee. They question why his disciples don't keep the traditions of the elders, such as washing, not washing their hands before they eat. Jesus, pointing out that there's a difference between man-made traditions and God's law, counters with a question of why they themselves neglect God's commandments over tradition. This ends with him calling them hypocrites and quoting Isaiah, which says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. Jesus then teaches how it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles someone, but rather the sinful actions that come from a heart that's gone wrong. When the disciples point out how the Pharisees were really offended by what Jesus said, he doubles down, calling the leaders blind guides. And then he reiterates that it's our evil intentions that lead us to breaking God's commandments. This is what defiles people, not neglecting to wash one's hands before a meal. In this way, Jesus establishes a new interpretation of scripture that would be normative for those who follow him. I also want to talk about the woman herself because there's a bigger picture going on there too. After the interaction with the rulers, Jesus leaves to go to Tyre and Sidon, which are two cities in Gentile territory, about 20 or 25 miles from where he's been. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus included these cities when he denounced the places that have rejected the Gospel message. Woe to you, he says, Tyre and Sidon. It's not stated why Jesus goes there, yet it is the northernmost place recorded in his travels. This woman is described as a Canaanite, whom we know as being part of the original inhabitants of the Promised Land before the Israelites got there. They are the descendants of Ham, one of Noah's sons, who was cursed after not holding his father's dignity. They are perhaps the most notorious enemies of all time of God's people, not just because of the land, but because of the idolatry they practiced. That idolatry had a long-term effect on Israel that included turning away from God, social injustice, and immoral practices. 
At this time, the Canaanites were no longer a distinct people. Matthew uses the term most probably to hearken back between of the history between the two people groups for his Jewish audience. Let us remember that God chose Israel to be a light to the nations. It is not that God's people are better than everyone else. It is that through them, the world is meant to know him. But the Israelites more often became like their pagan neighbors than the other way around. There were exceptions, of course, such as Tamar and Rahab, two Canaanite women who are noted ancestors in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, this woman knows who Jesus is, which is really something, since very few at the time did, including those who spent the most time with him. She calls him Lord, Son of David, which acknowledges his messiahship and power. She comes shouting for mercy. People shout when they're in pain, when they're desperate for something. They cry out when they feel as no one has been listening. Imagine your child having this kind of condition or a health condition where you are helpless to do anything. Some of you have lived that reality. Our children are precious. We love them fiercely. Most parents would risk embarrassment and much worse to help their child. Jesus does not answer her, which we also may have experienced in our lives. There are moments and seasons we cry out for mercy to the Lord, only initially to hear nothing. To receive no answer can affect our souls in ways that are hard to explain. We can get angry, give up, complain, take matters into our own hands. What have you done in your life when God was silent? When you really needed a response to a great need. Her pain is not even acknowledged by those Jesus is trying to raise up. The disciples collectively go to Jesus and tell him, tell him to get rid of her. I was thinking how this can easily happen when someone is hurting around us. We don't always know what to do. Drama can cause us to want to shut it down. What do you do when someone is crying or crying out in front of you? It can make us feel helpless and uncomfortable with emo when emotion is so deep, especially when that emotion is not ours. It's not something that we share. But the group think that is present among these leaders is discouraging. Not one of them says, hey, Jesus, this person is clearly upset. Is there something that we should do? It sounds like she needs your help. Maybe they feel ill-equipped or embarrassed, but simply wanting people in pain to disappear is not the answer. We have to try and act in compassion. That's a vital part of what we do for one another, even if it simply means 
sitting with another person while they weep. So what are we to make of this passage? This woman is honoring of Jesus. She is full of love for her child. She is persistent in asking the Lord to consider her plight. Even when he appears to put her off, she will not be dismissed. But why? Why does he respond to her the way that he does? As we talk about how Jesus responds, I was thinking about the work of Northrop Fry, a literary theorist who wrote about archetypal patterns found in stories and myths. He was building, of course, on the thoughts and the teachings of others, but he provided a helpful theoretical form. He said his model was simplistic, and I'm going to make it even more so here and add my own words about it, but basically there are four genres, romantic, comic, ironic, and tragic. And he was using these genres for literature, but they can be used for how we understand anything in life. They are mindsets we have which influence how we think about a situation. Let me explain by using this story as a backdrop. We hear Jesus telling the woman that it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. As I was doing my research this week, I came across so many different takes on why he said this. And I realized that the commentators and the authors trying to make sense of these words, trying to mitigate against the harshness, trying to figure out Jesus's meaning, were falling into one of the four genres that Fry worked out. So it occurred to me that the way we view the world might be how we view this passage. For instance, first, here's what the comic mindset might say. Jesus was joking with the woman. She could see the glint in his eye. That's actually a quote from a biblical scholar. Agreeing with the joke, she gives it right back to him. There is humor that we can't see when we read about it in black and white. We weren't there. Jesus wasn't always serious. We just can't always see the emotions, like the affection he clearly has for her. Plus, the word he uses for dog here is puppies, and they're playful and sweet. Second, we might consider the tragic mindset. This is an absolutely unsettling passage, which shows that Jesus was evidently a person of his time. One pastor I read said this, Jesus says some terrible things, quote, he's arrogant, racist, and just plain mean, end quote. No one should ever call a woman a dog. The woman is the one who redeems the passage and she's the foreigner. She calls out his wrong behavior, which she should do. What was Jesus thinking? Not okay. Let us consider what the romantic mindset might say. Jesus is human. He's growing in this passage, which is part of his quest on earth. He goes before us in all things, including experiencing what it means to be in an awkward situation in an outsider's place. This is why he, he pauses. He's thinking how to respond. You see, he's 
helping us see how we can have a misstep and change. This is a foreshadowing of the church to come when the doors are going to be wide open to everyone. Jesus is the hero who learns a new way. Lastly, let's consider the ironic mindset and what they might say. This passage is meant to show the irony of how this woman, opposite in every way to those who represented God, understood the truth of the Lord and his kingdom more than anyone else around. Jesus has constantly and most recently been in strife with the Jewish leaders. Here, he says something absurd that they might say in order to point out something she already knows to be true. He echoes their prejudice before he helps her. She would expect this combative reaction, and then she unexpectedly uses it for her advantage, which is seen as faith. As I mentioned each mindset, did you happen to resonate with one over the others? The truth is, we don't know what Jesus is doing here. And we must be careful not to fully map our personal mindset or opinion on the interpretation of this passage. So I want us to keep a few things in mind. Jesus is God. And he doesn't need us to defend him. And we must be careful not to slam him. He is God. We don't assign false motives that would say Jesus sinned here. What we don't understand should make us dig deeper. We must practice our faith as we grapple with this story, as we talk to him, because we have a personal relationship with him. It's important for us to tell him how we feel when we read this passage. Jesus, I I so wish you wouldn't have said that, or that makes me angry, or were you joking? Or, yeah, you go, Jesus. Just like the disciples wanted this woman to go away, we can't just wish this event weren't recorded or ignore it. We have to engage it. Jesus had some difficult conversations when he was on earth. Some of them were with women, whom he put on equal footing with men. He didn't regard them differently, nor did he coddle them because of their gender. His interactions were open and honest, no matter who he was with. Jesus doesn't hold back because she's female. There is equality here, which we should notice and appreciate. The woman is someone to emulate here. She is resolute in getting what she needs from the Lord. I always say this, but in his teaching, Jesus emphasizes how important this character trait of being determined is especially in prayer. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't be put off or discouraged. God will answer. She fights for her daughter because it's all she has left to do. She believes he is the best one to help. And also, maybe we do glean more of Jesus's attitude from watching her. Whatever is happening between them, she is not offended. She knows what he is about, and she trusts him. She believes not just that he can heal her daughter, but that he cares enough to do it for her. 
Faith here might be understood as accepting the revelation and the will of God as the reality and purpose of our lives. The woman has great faith. She gets it that Jesus is called first to go to the children of Israel and accepts this. And she puts forth the idea that Gentiles were also meant to receive part of God's blessing. She doesn't see herself as outside of God's care. She trusts everyone is ultimately part of the plan, which causes Jesus to marvel. Because she grasps a core idea of the kingdom that he is trying and has been trying to help people to see. Coming after such a radical teaching about the right way to honor God, this woman exemplifies a heart of faith that he has been talking about. Ultimately, when all is said and done, Jesus heals her daughter. We can look at all of the archetypes, choosing which lens we want to view this story through, but in the story, it ends the same way, no matter what. He commends the woman for her faith, and this is huge. And her daughter is free from the pain and the oppression of evil. And the disciples have learned a new way to treat people. We have to trust God. Even when the world says contrary things about who Jesus is and what his motives are. People have so many different ideas about God and we ourselves have to wrestle with the Lord about what we believe to be true about him because it affects what we believe to be true about ourselves, how he views us. What we learn from this story is that Jesus is faith worthy. He is worthy of the faith that we put in him. And as we take a moment in silence now, let us affirm the faith we have in the Lord. And may this curious story help us renew our trust in the Messiah who came to save us.